0: The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus came into the district of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds gathered around him, and, as was his custom, he again taught them. The Pharisees approached him and asked, Is it lawful for a husband to divorce his wife? They were testing him. He said to them in reply, What did Moses command you? And they replied, Moses permitted a husband to write a bill of divorce and dismiss her. But Jesus told them, Because of the hardness of your hearts, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together No human being must separate. In the house, the disciples again questioned Jesus about this. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. The Gospel of the Lord. The Apostle James is tough. In that letter, he seems to take away all of our favorite things. Learn to control your tongue and watch what you say, but we'd rather not. It's not enough to know what the Lord says. You actually have to get up and do something, but I'd rather just be content knowing. You know, and... Don't place your faith, your confidence, and your reliance on the material things of this world, because in the end, they'll kill you. But I like my stuff. And then today, he takes away our very favorite thing. He says, and don't complain. And nothing is so natural to the human tongue and the human heart as the ability to complain. In fact, when... The soldiers come to St. John the Baptist and they ask what should we do to enter the kingdom? One of the things the Baptist says is and stop complaining about your salary. Um, what a remarkable letter this is and it's remarkable in a sense with the way, by the way James names our ordinary patterns of behavior. You know, he doesn't talk about being ready for martyrdom He doesn't talk about realizing miraculous things. The beautiful thing about his letter is its simple fundamental practicality. How you speak and what you say matters. Where you place your confidence matters. How you move with regard to the word of the Lord that actually matters. And it matters not just for the world, it matters for you. Because that's how we communicate who we really are. And when we recognize that, it's a very beautiful document because it also situates the heart of Christian spirituality on the level where we live every day. And this is something we miss even when we reflect upon the great mystics. Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross, and others. And we we think of them in terms of the soaring heights to which their contemplation lifted them. But none of them started there. In fact, for example, if one reads through the interior castles of St. Teresa, the seven levels, the first three, she says very little about the mechanics of actually praying. And she doesn't talk about contemplation at all. She talks about the simple importance of trying to do the will of God, because that's what opens us up to everything else. So she's not interested in recommending specific devotions. She's not interested so much in recommending a specific length of time to pray. Rather, her discussion of prayer concerns a fundamental attitude of heart and will that little by little, I begin by turning away from what I shouldn't be doing. And when I do that as an act of surrender to the Lord and his will, there's an intrinsic prayerfulness about that. This is not to say I shouldn't be saying other prayers, but it's that note of St. James. Say all the devotions you want, but sooner or later, your will needs to turn. Sooner or later, your heart needs to move sooner or later how you act needs to be different and so it's this little by little series of surrenders to the will of god that open one for the greater graces that the lord longs to give us and if we keep that in mind this conversation between jesus and the pharisees becomes a very different kind of conversation because this is not just a question about marriage, and this is not a question about who is guilty and how we must restrict somebody. There are two things going on here in the response of Jesus to the question of the Pharisees. One is a discussion about the nature of marriage itself, but prior to that, there is a note about what it is to engage the will of God and live the life of faith. And we have to begin there because that's how Jesus begins. Note how the Pharisees begin. Is it lawful? In other words, is it permissible? Is it allowed for a husband to divorce his wife? This is the trap the human heart, often the believer's heart, falls into regularly. What can I get away with? What am I allowed to do? And it's this distorted idea of freedom that lives, is very much alive in the Western world. Freedom is about what I can do. And if I am allowed to do it, I'm gonna do it. But note what Jesus says. What did Moses command you? Note the different note. What did Moses tell you you should do? And that fundamental difference in attitude in approach is the key to really understanding everything else Jesus says. The scriptures are not at the service of telling us what we're allowed to do. They're at the service of telling us what the will of God for our lives is, what we should do. And in answering this way, Jesus is also saying, real freedom is not being allowed to do things, real freedom is being able to do what I know I should be doing in the first place. Real freedom is not being able to sin, Real freedom is being able to say, when I know something is good, I can do it, I should do it, and I'm going to go forward and do it. Real restriction, real slavery, is not that I can't do what I want to do, it's the fear, it's the guilt, it's the pain, It's the restriction that doesn't allow me to do the good that I know I need to. It doesn't really matter if I'm free to do everything else, if I can't do what is good and what is right. And so here, Jesus is trying to move our hearts out of the what can I get away with attitude the what is convenient for me attitude into the what is the Lord asking of me attitude. And so they say, well, Moses said we could do this. No, Moses said we're allowed. And Jesus backs up and says, oh, let's talk about what Moses says. Because that detail came in because of the hardness of your hearts. In other words, it has nothing to do with your desire to do the will of God. And everything to do with your desire to avoid it. And given the pain that that was causing, Moses said, look, if it gets to this point, let's talk about it. But Moses said a lot more than that one little thing. And here now for context, we have to understand, in the framework of Jesus's time, the understanding was that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. So the question of what did Moses say is not a matter of what does this one sentence read? Because as as far as they were concerned, Moses wrote all of that. And so what does Jesus do? jesus goes back to the tradition of moses and says moses wrote something else too moses wrote about what happened in the garden of eden and where marriage comes from maybe we should start there not what am i allowed to do with regard to preserving or ending my marriage because that's a meaningless question if i don't know what marriage is in the first place Man, how important is that today in our world where there is so much being said about what marriage is and about who can marry whom and about when marriages can end and about how marriage functions. And isn't it amazing that marriage means whatever is convenient to the one who's talking about it in the minute. Marriage is a social contract. Marriage is an agreement between two people and nobody else, and so they are free to end it. Marriage can be between anybody who wants to get married. And notice, though, that what's missing from all of that is a sense, even among us Christians, of what marriage is in the first place. And so they come and they say, is it lawful to end a marriage? And what does Jesus say? Let's talk about what marriage is. Because that's the only way we can come to an answer. It's not going to be about what does a precept of the law say. Because when we fall into that trap, that's again, what can I do? As opposed to what should I do? What is this? How do I value it rightly? And this aspect of the teaching of Jesus is something we need to recover. Because we Catholics too can fall into that trap of reducing this discussion to the issue of divorce and remarriage and who can receive sacraments. And while that is not unimportant, that is not the essential element of this. And so Jesus says, let's look at what marriage is. In the beginning, God made them man and woman, and he made them for each other. And so Jesus is grounding this in creation in who human beings are in the first place. What it is to be man, what it is to be woman, and what it is to be made by God. And when God made human beings, Human relationships, all of them, have their origin in God. Not in the movements of our hearts. Because our heart has its origin elsewhere. And in the beginning, before the fall, before that horrible wound in the Garden of Eden where marriage itself was broken because a husband and a wife fell. Before that happened, Man and woman are made for one another. In fact, Moses even tells the story of woman being made from the body of man. And why? To emphasize the point of a fundamental oneness, a fundamental God-given unity between male and female, man and woman. And then note what he says. And for this reason, man shall leave his mother and his father and go to his woman. And note what Jesus just said there from sacred scripture. There is a higher love than the love of son for mother and son for father, a higher love than the love of daughter for mother and of daughter for father. And that's the love of man for woman, woman for man, husband for wife, and wife for husband. And Why would we say that? Because again, as they come together, the two don't just sign a contract. They don't make an agreement. They don't say, if it doesn't work out, we can just get a divorce. They come together and become one flesh. There is a oneness of life between husband and wife that sits at the heart of what a marriage is. Obviously, you do not literally become one flesh, and yet that statement, He doesn't say one spirit, he says one flesh, meaning it's visible, it's concrete. It is real and this unity can and must be felt in the world. It's not merely a union of will, but it involves that. It is not merely a union of feeling, but it involves that. Rather, it is a union of persons who are not just spirits but bodies as well. What a remarkably beautiful statement about the intimate unity of man and woman. And then he says, and God has affected this. And so now this is Jesus saying something here that we celebrate in the church every time the sacrament of matrimony is celebrated. What God has joined know what he doesn't say what man and woman have joined, because marriage is not simply a matter of a man uniting with a woman and a woman uniting with a man but of God uniting woman to man and man to woman and that oneness that marvelous oneness which is at the heart of matrimony know what that is that is a surrender to the movement of divine grace and divine action. How marvelously beautiful that is. And so Jesus looks at the Pharisees and says, and you're talking about ending that, and whether you're allowed. Why are we even having this conversation? Your question should be, how do we strengthen it? How do we preserve it? What do we do to defend it and protect it? And you notice we don't have that conversation anymore in society. It's how do I enter it in a way that's convenient and how do I leave it in a way that's not painful. And even among those who style themselves defenders of marriage, all too often we don't have the conversation about what do we need to do and what sacrifices do we need to make as a people to make it more possible for man and woman to remain together. Because everything centers around what we're allowed to do. And we don't stop and consider the great, the unspeakably great dignity of this as a work of God, not a work of man. And th- you know, G- so Jesus, in reframing it this way, is less interested in talking about what we're allowed to do. And he's more interested in placing before our eyes the intrinsic greatness of marriage in the first place. And it is intrinsically great in that it comes from the hand of God and intrinsically great because every other form of human love is the result of marriage. Before there is a love of a mother for her children, there is the love of husband for wife. Eve didn't become the mother of the living until after she married Adam. Adam did not become the father of all until after he was united with Eve. Note how important that is. First, there is God's love for man and man's love for God. And the next love that is created, that comes into the world, the first love between human beings, is not the love of brothers and sisters. is not the love of mothers and children or fathers and children. It is the love of man for woman and woman for man. And from that love, all human relationships emerge. And so again, Jesus is putting in front of us. And you want to talk about whether you're allowed to end that. And think about what ending that implies. Think about what ending that means for the world, what it means for society. It means not just divorcing man and woman, husband and wife. It means divorcing motherhood from its origin. It means divorcing relations between brothers and sisters from their origin. It means even divorcing friendship, human friendship, from its origin. Because even that has its remote origin in the love of man for woman and woman for man, by which those who later become friends come into this world. What a great thing marriage is. What a great thing marriage is. And we treat it so lightly. And yet, how fundamentally and vitally important it is. It has a dignity that comes from the hand of God. And in the Catholic tradition, it is the one sacrament that an ordained minister does not celebrate. The ministers of the sacrament of matrimony are the man and woman, the husband and wife, who profess their union before God. The priest or the deacon is the witness. And while I bless the marriage, I'm not the minister of marriage. But know what that means. The ministers, the ministers of marriage. And what is ministry? It is a sacred work. Marriage is a ministry where husband and wife minister to each other, minister to their children, and by doing so, minister to the world in a way that no one else can. And if we want to talk about the greatness of the lay vocation, look right there. There is a ministry that marriage has, that those who are married have. But when we reduce it to forgetting about the will of God only in terms of what can I do, it's no longer a ministry. It's self-service. And that creeps in. That creeps in because our hearts since Adam and Eve, a married couple, fell in the garden, that same selfish ambition lives in all of us, and it lives in our marriages, which is why for marriage to be present and permanent, the grace of God is so vitally necessary, so vitally important. What a remarkable, what a remarkable gift that is. But it's also important to recognize, if we say that the ministers of the sacrament are the man and the woman, the husband and the wife, ministry is never for a moment. It's not that you say, I do, and then you stop being the ministers of the sacrament. Rather, the I do is the continual ministry, the daily I do, the daily faithfulness, in the good, in the bad, in the sickness, in the health, in the poverty, and the wealth, In the joy and in the sorrow, there's an act of ministry, an act of love, an act of belonging, an act of uniting, a surrendering to the movement of God who brings us together. And so in the end, Jesus leaves us with, Jesus leaves us with that fundamental issue of the first question is how do we cooperate with the movement of God, which is not a movement to separate man and woman, but a movement to bring them together. The fuller discussion of the teaching of marriage where divorce and annulments and everything come in, that's that's for another context and another day. But none of that matters as much as getting marriage right in the first place. And we don't celebrate it enough. We don't pray for it enough. We don't teach its greatness and its goodness enough. Even we who are teachers forget to do that. That's the other lesson Jesus has for the Pharisees. You've missed the point. And if you've missed the point, how are the people ever going to get the point? And note that what Jesus says, the apostles themselves had never heard before this way. Because what happens afterwards? They go to Jesus and say, did you really mean that? And note that Jesus doesn't back off. He says, yes, I did, every word, every word. In other words, the movement must be toward unity. The movement must be toward maintaining, preserving, deepening, and strengthening this. Before we talk about is it possible to end it, we need to deal with the importance of preserving it. When we as a people, not just as Christians, but when we as a people get that memo, everything will be different. Everything will be different. And note, marriage is from the beginning. This plan, this union, this element of human life is shared by everyone, believer or not. Because the one God who is the source of all human life, at the very beginning of making all human life, established marriage. Note how fundamentally important marriage is and getting marriage right for the world really is. And what a great thing. What an absolutely great thing. And it's wonderful that we can reflect upon it here where we come to a place where we Receive communion. And this idea of husband and wife receiving also their marital communion, not just from themselves, but from heaven itself, is so very beautiful, so very necessary, and so very important. And this is why there is such a marvelous permanence and a marvelous strength, not just for a family, but for the world itself in a marriage that is well-lived, however imperfectly, the value of that work, of growing together and living together in love, there is no earthly value that we can place upon it. Amen.